Hey everyone, um, my name is Andrew Luley. Uh Thank you, thank you, thank you. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> Why don't we see what I have to say first, then you guys can clap on at the end if it's good or not. So, uh, most of you uh, don't know me uh, more than just seeing me up here with our musicians uh, on Tuesday nights. Uh, so I just want to start with sharing a bit about myself. Um, my full-time job is to lead our music team, um, but tonight, for the first time, I get to spend some time up here talking with you. Um, if I've learned anything from watching other people give, talk, give talks, it's this. You have to show pictures of your family. <laughs> so this might be the highlight of the evening. So here's my family. Yeah. That's my wife, Colleen. Uh, some of you may know her. She was on staff with the Veritas for about eight or nine years. Uh, we've been married since December 15th, 2012, 2.30 p.m. So uh, our son, he's two and a half. His name is James. And we think we've got a couple pictures of him. James has some fans here. Uh, he loves swinging. He's a, a, a spunky dude, kind of a daredevil. I don't think he knows how much danger he gets in sometimes. There he is wearing some Veritas swag. So, um, and then our daughter, her name is Charlotte. She's eight months old. Yeah, super adorable. She's cute. She's got a big smile. Smiles a lot. Um, so they keep us busy. They also keep us up at night. Um, but we love them very, very much. Um, <clears throat> so I'm in my second year uh, working for Veritas. Uh, before I was hired on here, uh, I worked for a company in town called Veterans United. Um, I did a few things there over the course of four years. Uh, before that, I worked at a, a really delicious place called Andy's Frozen Custard uh, for four-ish years. Uh, we probably know that place a little too well. Um, and I was well prepared for that job because I spent most of high school uh, working at a little place called Silky's Frozen Custard in West County, St. Louis. Anyone? Ellisville, Baldwin, Rockwood Parkway people? Yeah, uh-huh, yep. Uh, there were a couple um, other places I worked. My first job when I turned 15 was bussing tables at this fairly dirty Italian restaurant, and that was quite an experience. I also spent some time early in college working at Blockbuster Video, which probably dates me a little bit. So no Netflix streaming, no Amazon Prime. Online rental was like just becoming a thing, so uh, they don't exist anymore. Um, <laughs> But I share all that uh, because we all have been, or soon we will be, uh, building a work history. Uh, working is ingrained in the narrative of our lives. It's what we do uh, in order to get where we want to be. Um, there's a somewhat famous inspirational quote um, that comes from a professor in a 1982 Princeton Alumni Weekly that says, find something you love to do and you'll never have to work a day in your life. Find something you love to do, and you'll never have to work a day in your life. Is that true? Is that true for you guys? Think about it. Has that been your experience so far in life? Let's say you're a senior, like some of you are. You're graduating in May, and you're about to start the career, let's say, that you've always wanted ever since the first time you were asked, what do you want to be when you grow up? It's like your dream job come true. Was it easy to get there? Or did it take 
some hard assignments, some late nights, some stress, maybe even some failure. A lot of you know this about me, but I, I have an immense passion for drumming. Uh, it's been a huge part of my life. I've been playing drums for like 24 years. Uh, in high school, I was on drumline. I was in jazz band. I was in a cover band. Uh, and I've been playing at the Crossing uh, Church here in town since April of 2009. And there was this point in time at church, probably the span of about a few years, um, where I was the only drummer. And that added about 10 to 15 hours of work, more when it was Christmas or Easter time. Um, I was working full time. I had started leading a small group somewhere in there. Um, I got married in that time frame. Uh, and people would ask me, isn't it hard to not have a break on Sunday mornings? And I would say, no, it doesn't feel like work to me. Because if I was doing something I loved, I should never need a break, right? But then why, on the Sundays I happened to not be playing, why did it feel so restful? Why did it feel somewhat good to not be doing the thing that I absolutely would do for free if I could? Even if we're exactly where we want to be, something feels off about work. I mean, it could be the nature of the job. Some jobs are grueling. Uh, but we also make it hard on ourselves. But if we, if we frame our work within God's plan for it, I think we'll be encouraged to fight to work well. So tonight, I want to explore uh, three things the Bible has to say about work. I want to talk about God's design for work. I want to talk about how we make work hard. And I want to talk about why it's important to work well. Uh, first, God's design for work comes from uh, the book of Genesis. Uh, we're going to look at chapter 1, verses 26 to 27. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they rule over the fish in the, fish in the sea and birds in the sky above, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So I used to have this notion about life before the fall. And real quick, what I mean when I say before the fall, I'm referring to the time in history when God's creation was still perfect. Sin wasn't in the world yet. Literally everything was good. And the notion I used to have of life at that time was just this happy, nonchalant existence all we'd ever do is talk under the shade of trees with all the food we needed just to pluck away, and somehow it would never get boring. Kind of like retirement was our default status, but then work became this thing after the fall happened. But we see here in Genesis that God had working in mind when he created humanity. One aspect of our purpose in being created was to rule over his creation, kind of like a manager. God's the owner, we're the manager. And there's no, I guess, straight-up job description at this point, but the work is implied by the nature of our calling, the nature to rule over, to take care of the fish, the livestock, the birds. We only need to think about the role of a manager, and we get a good idea of humanity's role. 
So thinking back on the managers who've been in, in my life, uh, the ones I admired were the ones who were honest, uh, who cared well for their team, uh, and whose own work demonstrated that they really believed in what they were working for. So the nature of our calling not only tells us we are workers, but also gives us a core of responsibilities, of characteristics that we can use in any field of work. Uh, jump ahead to chapter 2, verse 15, though, and we see this. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. So do you see what God has done here? After God creates man as a worker, he gives him specific work to do. We were always meant to work. From the beginning, we were always meant to work. Why is that? Why, why did the creator of the universe make working part of who we are? Because it's part of who he is. And who he is is imprinted on the soul of every single human being. We probably don't think of God as a worker very often, uh, but let's look again um, at verses 26 and 27. Um, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they rule over the fish in the sea, and so on and so forth. Verse 27, so God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So those two words in verse 26, so that, those two words tell us a lot. They tell us that it's the fact that we're made in God's image that even enables us to work. But God's work, God as a worker, it doesn't end with creation. The New Testament, John 5, says this. So, because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, my father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. Right here, Jesus tells us that God the Father is still working. Creation is just the beginning of the story God is telling. And we're still living out that story today. So even right now, God is working. God is at work. So we just talked about how the nature of our calling to be managers of God's creation, to be workers, comes from God himself. God is good, God is holy, God is a worker. So work by nature is a good and holy thing. But next I want to talk a little about work as we actually know it now. Uh, I mean, work doesn't always feel good and holy, does it? Why is it hard? And where I want to camp for a little bit is with this question. How have we made it hard? And that brings us to tonight's passage from Proverbs, chapter 6, verses 6 to 11. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler. Yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a thief, and scarcity like an armed man. 
All right, so sluggard is a weird word. It's an old word. Uh, we don't really use it too often uh, in conversation, maybe never. Um, and I was actually looking it up on dictionary.com and, the, and thesource.com uh, to see if there was a word I could use in its place. And dictionary.com has a difficulty meter on the side of its page that said, few English speakers likely know this word. <laughs> there it is. There's dictionary.com not believing the best about us. So, so there's a lot we can glean from this one word, though. Um, to help us uh, start thinking about the idea of a sluggard, I've got a, a quick video for us to watch. A little old, a little low quality, uh, but I really like the, uh, the illustration. So let's give a quick watch. this. I'm already late. Somebody will come. Anybody out there? Do you have a phone? No. Sorry. Somebody! Hello? There are two people stuck on an escalator and we need help. Now, would somebody please do something? I don't believe this. You gotta be kidding me. <laughs> I'm gonna cry. <laughs> well, there's nothing else left to do. That's it. So, uh, that's pretty ridiculous, yeah. Uh, obviously, that video goes to extremes to illustrate a point. You will probably never find two people alone in the mall in the middle of the day like that. Uh, most people wouldn't be stuck on an escalator in that situation. They would just start walking up what is now a very expensive staircase. But the sluggard, being characterized by laziness and inactivity, doesn't take those steps. And I think that video does a good job of illustrating his or her reaction when things don't go as planned. So there, uh, there are a couple specific characteristics the Bible speaks to uh, when using the word sluggard um, that are worth diving into. Uh, one is the idea of the procrastinator, uh, probably the most relatable idea to us. Um, we get it here from uh, chapter 6, verse 9. Uh, how long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? All right, so this is when we don't begin things. It's not that we outright refuse to do something, uh, but we do give in to small surrenders along the way that keep us from starting our work. Small surrenders like sleeping in. Uh, the one or two beautiful days we just had when it was supposed to be winter and we all want to be outside instead of doing anything else. Uh, catching up on the black hole of social media, Netflix, video games. Uh, video games got me hard in uh, college. Um, it was really difficult uh, to get any work done when there's an Xbox uh, sitting right there. Even too much time can be dangerous. That would always get me in. That would always get me in college, and it still gets me now. Um, it was the days I had the least amount of class that I was actually the least productive. Um, so I'd be driving home at like 10 o'clock in the morning, uh, nowhere to be until work at five, uh, thinking of all the fun things I could do 
uh, fit in my day and still get my homework done. Like, that was going to happen. But like verse 10 and 11 say, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands, and poverty will come on you like a thief, and scarcity like an armed man. So this is talking about uh, that oops moment uh, when we realize just how much time we've wasted. Uh, One more of this, a little more of that, just a few more minutes of this other thing. I mean, the small things add up. We don't even realize it's happening. And then all of a sudden, we're not where we want to be. Uh, Another characteristic of a sluggard is uh, being unreliable. Proverbs 10, 26. uh, Like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so is the sluggard to those who send him. Okay, so no one in this room works or is going to work in a vacuum. Uh, whether it's a group project or customers or coworkers, uh, there are going to be people who are depending on you. Uh, you will always have opportunities to build trust. Uh, but if you're not careful, it could go the other way. Um, in 2009, uh, to- Toyota began recalling over 10 million vehicles uh, due to numerous issues, most prominently uh, being faulty gas pedals. Uh, the whole thing ended in a $2 billion loss uh, due to repair expenses and lost sales, uh, and 20% of their stock, which amounted to $35 billion in value. That is a huge chunk of change lost, a big consequence. I came across a quote by a writer named Paul Thoreau. He said, gain a modest reputation for being unreliable, and you will never be asked to do a thing. So Toyota is still around, obviously. They're, uh, they're historically a really good car manufacturer, and uh, their reputation helped them to recover from a moment of unreliability. And what we learned from that is how well we work. In this case, having history being reliable can actually protect us when we've made a mistake. Uh, we may be tempted to think that this all seems a little too obvious. Uh, don't procrastinate, be reliable, Uh, Those are pretty straightforward. But there's one more characteristic of the sluggard I want to talk about. There's a particular warning given twice in Proverbs, uh, both times referring to the sluggard. Uh, We read it from chapter 6, verses 10 to 11 earlier. It shows up again in chapter 24. Um, I'm just going to read it again real quick. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands, and poverty will come on you like a robber, and scarcity like an armed man. So if you knew you were going to be robbed, you would call the police in plenty of time, right? Not the sluggard. He doesn't see the warning signs, and he's caught off guard. So in other words, he doesn't know he's procrastinating. He doesn't know he's unreliable until it's too late. Um, Icebergs, very dangerous to ships traveling through the North Atlantic and the Arctic Ocean. Uh, The Titanic is the most famous ship sunk by an iceberg, iceberg. Uh, That happened in 1912. What you might not know is that between 1882 and 1890, 14 other passenger liners uh, were brought down by icebergs in the same region uh, where the Titanic would eventually rest. Um, They're considered such a threat that the U.S. Coast Guard operates the International Ice Patrol, uh, actually formed in response to the Titanic, still operates to this day, um, and they make sure ships have good course data to avoid icebergs. And what makes them so dangerous 
why with all the technology we have today, we still steer way clear of icebergs, is that you can't see what's going on below the surface. What you see above the water could be, literally as the saying goes, just the tip of the iceberg. The real danger, the danger that can sink big ships is unseen. That's why we should always be aware of procrastination and unreliability because the dangers are often unseen and unfelt at first. I mean, it's precisely because there aren't always immediate consequences that we don't see ourselves becoming the sluggard. Being a manager of God's world has grown into many different things since creation. Uh, There's much more work to be done uh, than just farming. And that includes being a student. Being a student is work. You have deadlines to meet. You have people relying on you to do your part. You're expected to be honest with your work. God is equipping you for your future by giving you the work of a student now to learn, to grow, to flourish so that you're built up for life after college. That's no different than what your career is going to be like. One job is going to prepare you for the next. One company is going to prepare you for the next. That's how you progress. So just like any other job, you're going to find yourself struggling with what we just talked about. I, I hope it's easy to see the earthly benefits of being a prompt, reliable, motivated worker. But what I really hope you leave with tonight to get you through the rest of school, the rest of your semester, even just the rest of this week before spring break, what I want you to leave with is this. There's an even higher and eternal calling to work. The higher calling comes from 1 Corinthians. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. As Christians, we belong to God. So our work shows the character of him to whom we belong. So your honesty at work reflects the God who is honesty, honesty with a capital H. The grace you give your coworkers or your employees reflects the God who is grace. Dedication to your work reflects God's dedication to his people despite our hard hearts. The eternal calling comes from Romans 8. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. God isn't going to just save his people. He's also going to save his original creation, not destroy it, not replace it. And if salvation and renewal includes creation, and work was present at creation, then work is going to be saved and renewed also. 
God is working through you to bring about what not only has been, but will also be a significant part of his kingdom. Work. As the music team comes back up, I want to share something that's inspired me to work hard. It's about my manager when I was at Veterans United. They're a a mortgage company. Early on in his career there, he was, he and his partner were one of the least performing teams in the company. And to my recollection, we're talking last place. Along the way, though, they made a concerted effort to change. uh, And through what was really a lot of hard work, they eventually became the top team in the company month after month, year after year. His credibility grew. He became highly respected as an employee, and people came to him for advice and guidance. Uh, I mean, he even eventually became an executive in the company. Also along the way, he became a Christian. I mean, it didn't happen overnight, and it was a lot of hard work for him to integrate his, his faith into his job. But this is how his faith and his work coincided. Credibility he earned opened doors for ministry. People respected him, and so non-believers responded well when he would invite them to discuss and read a Christian book. The group would start with about eight guys, would dwindle to one or two, but for those one or two who stayed, their lives began to change. And by God working through my boss and working through other people who were working hard at schools, hospitals, restaurants, law firms, wherever. People are coming to know Jesus. And what I'm not saying is that in order to be faithful to your job, you have to lead a Bible study at work. That was just an amazing thing I saw my boss do to bring faith and work together. But working hard with diligence, integrity, love, dependability, care, that's how we glorify God in the workplace. And when we glorify God, we're making him known to others, showing people what he's like and what he's done for us. All work can be ministry work, and all work can be kingdom work. Amen.